Bob Eklad grew up in a Christian home, um, an evangelical Christian home, and eventually as a young man became kind of disillusioned with the, with the God and country uh, faith of his parents and wandered away from the church for quite some time, but always uh, sought to ser- serve the Lord in his life. And uh, he and his wife, Gracie, ended up in Guatemala in 1980 during the Civil War and saw uh, a lot of the ugliness of government oppression and guerrilla warfare and all those sort of things. And um, during that time, God gave them a heart to live among the poor and among those who were on the margins of their society and who were oppressed. And... Um, what happened was that they realized that to be able to combat poverty in this area, that they what they needed to do is teach people how to farm. And so uh, along with some other uh, people who lived in Guatemala, they started a, a community, a farming community, and uh, taught many thousands of families how to farm and grow their own food to be able to sell and to eat. And uh, one day, some of the farm workers came to Bob and they said, Bob, um, you seem to know a lot about the Bible. Would you lead us in a Bible study? We're all, we're all just kind of Catholic by birth and we don't really know a lot about our faith and we really think that if you teach us the Bible, our hearts might really come alive uh, in the way that we see in you. And so Bob began to lead Bible studies with uh, people um, on the outskirts of their society and had a really transforming experience. Well, years later, uh, Bob and his wife ended up starting a ministry in the Skagit Valley in Washington in, 19, in the early 1990s. Um, and they were ministering to people with immigration issues and incarceration issues and addiction and poverty. And uh, eventually, uh, a sweep, a devastating sweep of methamphetamine addiction came through the area and was just people were losing their lives because of uh, drug addiction. And Bob and Gracie felt like it was a scourge on their ministry because while they had seen some good results, they just weren't seeing the power that they saw in the Gospels, that they saw Jesus exercising in his ministry of healing to the same kind of people that they were ministering to. And so they became, they, they went through a time of questioning and soul search. Um, They knew the stories of Jesus, but they were wondering why they weren't seeing that power in their own ministry among addicts and the incarcerated. And uh, they wanted to see it. Well, what happened was that one day, uh, Gracie, the wife, decided to go up to a conference in Toronto called Catch the Fire. Some of you know that there was a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Toronto in the 1990s. And she went to this uh, this conference called Catch the Fire, and she saw people being healed miraculously by the Lord and uh, saw it with her own eyes. And she went home, and Bob had always struggled with uh, breathing in his nostrils. He was never able to breathe out of both of his nostrils all of his life. And so he had trouble sleeping and trouble with the dry mouth. And um, it was bothering him in a particular way. And uh, Gracie said, you know, maybe you should go to the doctor again and just have them look at it. And then she said, wait, or maybe I should just pray for you because I've been seeing people get healed at this conference I've been at. And uh, she reached out and she asked Jesus to open Bob's nostrils. And for the first time in his life, both of his nostrils opened and he was able to breathe clearly. And so Bob was really moved by that experience. And uh, Bob, in the early 2000s, ends up going to a leadership conference up in Toronto where all of this is happening to try to kind of see some of this stuff for himself. And he went a bit of a skeptic still. And uh, at the end of the conference, while there was, a, you know, a prayer ministers and a line that you could get in to be prayed for, for people who were uh, praying for the Lord to do things in people's lives, um, Bob got up to this young man who uh, laid hands on him and prayed for him. And uh, he said to Bob, he said, I see you surrounded by men in red uniforms and um, you're all sitting in blue plastic chairs. 
And Bob was grabbed by the Holy Spirit because he knew that that was a vision of him doing Bible studies with prisoners that he had been doing for years, men who wore red suits and sat on blue plastic chairs. And so Bob thought, well, you have my attention now. And uh, this man continued to pray for him. And Bob heard the voice of the father say, I love how you love my prisoners. And Bob said, oh, that got me right in the gut. And this man began to speak these prophetic words over Bob. And he said, the father says he's going to give you an anointing for healing so that your words will be confirmed by signs that follow. And uh, Bob, was, uh, Bob was reluctantly falling over in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to his surprise. And you can guess what happened after that in Bob's life as he went back and continued his ministry among people. And he tells a story about meeting with a, a group of prisoners and reading a Bible, reading a, uh, doing a Bible study together and then asking them, how do you think we should respond to what we've read today? And one prisoner says, well, I think we should pray for Fabiano's liver because he's been crying out every night in pain because of his cirrhosis from, from his alcoholism. And uh, it turns out that the gentleman who suggested that also had cirrhosis of the liver and Bob said, I think we should pray for both of you and uh, convince them to allow him to pray. And he laid hands on them where he just thought their liver was and prayed for them. And they experienced an immediate cessation of their symptoms of pain and cirrhosis of the liver. And Bob saw this continual ministry and continues to see this continual ministry of the Holy Spirit healing people uh, by the laying on of his hands. And I was so encouraged by that story as I've just been pursuing life in the spirit uh, myself lately. I was so encouraged by hearing this story. I felt like the Lord wanted me to hear it and share it with you. And what I, the takeaway, the overall takeaway from this story, I think fits in so good with what we hear from and see in the gospels today. It's that Jesus calls his people into ministries of justice for the oppressed combined with the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't separate those two things out, our ministry to those on the margins of society, those in need from the power of the Holy Spirit that desires to be at work in us. So we're going to look at the passage from Luke chapter 6 this morning. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, that's where we'll be um, for the next few minutes. And what we will see is that Jesus speaks words of liberation for the oppressed, but his message, this message is empowered by the healing work of the Holy Spirit. Let's dive right in. Jesus came to a place and there was a great crowd of disciples and a great multitude of people. Typical scene. Everybody's crowding in around Jesus and trying to get close to him. Uh, He says that they had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him for power came out from him and healed all of them. So here's the context of what's happening. Jesus, if you back up a little bit in Luke and read what's been happening before this, which is always a really good idea to do because you get little tidbits of uh, and little nuggets of context. Jesus has actually just called his 12 disciples. He has gone out to a mountain and spent the night in prayer, spent the night with his father, and he has called his 12 disciples, these, these sort of no-name fishermen and tax collectors and all of them. And what he's doing is he's bringing them with him and he's showing them what life is going to look like in his community, what life is going to look like for his followers. He's showing what's going to be the norm or what should be the norm for those who follow him and operate and live their lives in and through him. Now, note how the people come to Jesus with expectation. I just think this is remarkable. They come, they like know they're going to get healed if they can get close enough to Jesus. 
Do we have that kind of expectation of the Lord's power in our own lives towards us and through us? A friend of mine was just telling me a story. His name's Tim. He lives in Michigan. Tim's a, a, a really a faithful Roman Catholic. And uh, that's an important detail in the story. You'll see why. And Tim was at his sister's house, um, which is about an hour from his house. And she had been complaining of sciatica and back pain and so forth. But um, Tim was hesitant to pray for her, all, though he heard that whisper, that nudge, those nudges that we talked about last week. He heard that whisper, but he was reluctant to pray for her uh, because she had been struggling with her Christian faith. She had some doubts. And he thought, what if I pray for her and she's not healed. It's only going to compound the problem. And I just don't, I just don't want to, to just to look like a fool and then have her doubt her faith even more because God knows sometimes we pray for healing and it doesn't happen. And so Tim, uh, he got in his car to leave. And as he was driving, he just had a heavy heart about not listening to that voice that said to pray. And he's driving down the freeway and he sees a billboard put out by the Roman Catholic Church. And it said, if you don't ask Jesus to do anything, don't be surprised at the results. <laughs> you know what Tim did? He got off at the next exit and he got back on the freeway and he turned around and he went to his sister's house and he, feeling like a fool, which is required of us sometimes, uh, went back and told her the story, still nervous, still doubting, just like Peter last week when Jesus told him to throw in the nets. And he said, can I pray for you? And she said, wow, yeah, that's a crazy story. Of course you can pray for me. He laid his hands on her back and prayed for her. Then uh, he left and he didn't really know what happened. And um, a couple of weeks later, they were talking on the phone and he was like, yeah, that was a really weird thing that happened. And she said, Tim, I just realized since you prayed for me, I have not had any sciatica or back pain symptoms. Amazing. If you don't ask Jesus to do anything, don't be surprised at the results. Would that we grow in our confidence to listen to those nudges from the Holy Spirit. Luke tells us that power came out of Jesus. Like it flowed out of him. And I thought, why is that? Why is there so much power coming out of Jesus? Because he lives his life in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's power emanates from him and heals all who come in contact with it. Now, how is it that we could share in that power? How can we be empowered? And again, I said, if you back up and read a little bit about what Jesus has been doing, you'll see that just before this passage, Luke tells us on two different occasions, he goes out of his way to tell us a detail that Jesus left the crowds and spent a night in prayer with his father. And so Luke makes a profound connection between Jesus's prayer life, his quiet solitude, his time with the father and his powerful working of miraculous healings. Friends, it's the same for us. There's a profound connection between the the fervency of our prayer lives with the Lord and the power that we will see him unleash in and through us. Very important detail. And then Jesus moves into this teaching of blessings and woes. You see, remember that word to Bob Eckblad? He said, I'm going to confirm your words with Deeds that follow. You see, Jesus, he, he carries out the deeds of power and then he begins to teach and he has the crowd's attention. And he says, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. You see, the poor who are looked down upon by the world, Jesus says, they're the recipients of God's kingdom. 
This made no sense to the people of Jesus' time because if you suffered from poverty, you were thought to be under a curse. If you had wealth, you were blessed. If you had poverty, you were cursed. Sorry about your luck. And so it made no sense. And the message that Jesus is saying, he's saying you're mistaken about the way that you see the world. You're mistaken about that. He's showing them that something is happening in his ministry, in his coming to the world that is redefining the way the world works. You see, the arrival of the kingdom of God, the reign of God over people's lives and over the world, it always leads to a reversal of values. It leads to a reversal of values. The people that society thinks are just down on their luck are the blessed ones in the Father's eyes. I love the way you love my prisoners. One of the ways you know you've had a, a genuine encounter with the living Jesus is that there's a reversal of values in your life. In many ways, there's a reversal of value. The desire for wealth and comfort and honor and success in the world's eyes, those get replaced by a desire to, to, to know God more, to grow closer to God, to serve the poor and the oppressed, to seek the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. You begin to, you begin to get a new identity from Jesus that's not wrapped up in your career or your family or what you can do or how the world sees you. It's a complete change of life. And you start paying attention to people and things that maybe you never did before. You start seeing the people who are hurting and who are broken around you because the Holy Spirit is stirring things in your heart. God is saying, I want you to love my prisoners. I want you to love the people sleeping on the benches in, in the park in your neighborhood. See, who of us looks at that person, right? The person sleeping on a bench with, with plastic bags and, and thinks, that's someone God wants to bless and provide for through me. No, we usually think, ah, oh, that's tough. I, I hope things work out for them. And all the while, the Father wants to love and provide for them through us, through his people. Jesus shows us that those are precisely the people God, the Father, is paying attention to. Then he goes on and he says, Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. And blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. The prophets in the Old Testament, they often spoke, especially Isaiah. If you read through Isaiah, he speaks about this kind of mysterious feast. He says there's going to be this feast of well-aged wines and, and wonderful meats, and everyone is going to be invited to this feast free of charge to feast. And it, what it was, it was a looking forward to a new age that would dawn in which things would change. The way of the world would change, and God would provide even for those who had, not, had no provision, even those who lived in poverty and wouldn't be able to afford a feast. And Jesus is showing people the dawn of that age is arriving. That's what he means when he says the kingdom of God has come near you. That age has arrived where values get reversed and God's people, God pays attention through his people to those who are in need. You see, when we feed the hungry at no cost, when, when we find housing or employment for the poor, we are the hands and feet of the compassionate Jesus. What a privilege it is to do that. Jesus goes on. He says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you and defame you on account of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For surely your reward is great in heaven. 
For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. <laughs> Blessed are you. You're blessed, Jesus says, when people refile you and defame you. And we're nervous. <laughs> I'm nervous about being seen praying over my food in public. And Jesus says, when you're persecuted by people, rejoice. Rejoice. You see, because to place yourself in the company of addicts and criminals and refugees is to identify with people, society as a whole that wants nothing to do with. And it's a prophetic witness to the world when the world sees the people of Jesus stepping into those places and being with those people that the rest of the world neglects, those people that God cares for. Then Jesus gets into this set of woes, which are kind of like warnings. And if you read through the passage, if you look at it, we're not going to look at the woes closely, but it's a complete, it lines up with, with the blessings and it's a complete reversal. And he says, on the other hand, you who are enjoying all the comfort and all the luxury and all the wealth and all the food at the expense of the poor and to the neglect of the poor and not paying any attention to those people who have nothing, things are going to change for you too, because you have your reward. You, you got distracted. You were so distracted by the things of this life that you paid no attention to the kingdom of God and to the people he was calling you to pay attention to. It's a, it's a hard word to hear. I mean, for all of us, it's a difficult word to hear. Most of us live in, in, in quite a bit of comfort and, and quite a bit of luxury overall compared to the rest of the world. And Jesus says, I want you to have eyes. Don't get distracted by those things. I've given you what I've given you so that you can bless the world with it, not store it up in barns and keep it all to yourself and just build your savings account and your retirement funds. I want you to bless the world. And if you do that, I'll take care of you. You won't go without. It's a matter of trusting. It's a matter of trusting. You see, friends, a comfortable life can, it can actually, too comfortable a life can keep us blind to the kingdom of God. It can keep us blind. It's a message on Jesus's mouth continually. It's because the, it can keep us blind from the work that Jesus actually desires to do through us for the people of the world. I know that it, my own, I suffer from this. I know that I am just too distracted and it keeps me, it gives me a lack of focus on the things that God would have me focus on. It's something that we would all do good to pay attention to. So what we see in this passage is that is that Jesus shows us we can't separate this calling to, to to social justice, what we might call social justice, to justice for the oppressed and those on the margins of society and those who are in need. We can't separate that from living in the power of the Holy Spirit that will actually confirm that what we do is from the Lord. The power of healing, to heal people of addictions, to heal people of cirrhosis of the liver, to heal people of clogged nostrils or whatever it may be. It's something that God invites all of us to pray for and to seek out in our own lives. And you see, like the word that, that Bob Eckblad heard, Jesus's ministry, his message of who's blessed and who should be a little bit more careful about the way they live, all of that's confirmed by his deeds of power that are just flowing out of him. See, that? See, I think so much of our evangelism may be ineffective because it's not... It's not connected to actually bold encounters of praying with people and asking for God's healing. I think that's when people really see that God is real in our lives is when we are bold enough to invite them to experience him in prayer. I'm going to tell you a story about that in just a moment. Um, there's so many people 
There's so many people in the world who actually want to experience the power of God through us. You can talk and talk and talk about the Bible to people, and for some people it might just not connect, but if you actually move from there and say, can I pray with you? That's when things start to happen and people experience God. When I was in seminary, I had to do an internship somewhere, and so I ended up at a place called Lad Lake, which was a state-run facility for um, youth who had more or less been neglected by their parents who just said, we can't take care of them, and the state would take them in. And we had the spiritual mentorship program. And the first time that I was there uh, as a spiritual, as a volunteer spiritual mentor, I met with these two boys, um, really sweet kids. They're probably about 13 years old, and we were talking. I, they were talking about their lives, and everything just came from a lot of broken and um, we were talking about the Bible and I was kind of giving them the message of hope from the Bible. And then I thought I was feeling kind of good about myself. And I, yeah, this is great. I think I did the right thing. And then I got up and I'll never forget the question that they asked me and the longing that was in their eyes. And they said, aren't you going to pray for us? And I was shocked that I hadn't even offered. <laughs> How could I have missed that? The opportunity to, to invite these children to encounter the, the heavenly father that they wanted to encounter. See, never assume that people are just going to be resistant to it. There are people who want to experience the heavenly father's touch and his love through your prayers and through mine. We at Good Shepherd, we do, we do quite a bit to serve the hungry and, and, and the marginalized and the brokenhearted. But I just want to ask us this question today. Are we expecting to see to also see the power of God that heals miraculously. Some of us who were in the class this morning, well, Father Dave, who's leading the video, he said, if I was God, there would just be like more fire all the time. You'd just see fire at the altar when the priest sings. Would that we see fire over in the OSL pews when they're praying for people for healing after the Eucharist? Would that we see fire when we lift up our voices in song and worship and just experience that. And so I invite you to, to open your heart really to experience that side of the gospel that uh, so many of us tend to forget about or, or, or not pray for and seek to immerse ourselves in the work of the Holy Spirit. I know that I personally want to experience more of that. And uh, I just want to ask, will you join me? Will you join me in asking the Father to send his spirit and to make it so? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord God, you speak to us in the Gospels, and Jesus, you said to your disciples that you, the Father desires to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And we read that, and our eyes just glaze over it, and we miss something so important and so central to the Christian life when we uh, fail to see that what is on offer to us is nothing short of the power of Jesus, that we saw healing the sick and the lame. And Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts to the work that you want to do in us. We ask that uh, anything that's distracting us or keeping us afraid or shy of that, that you would help us to find your comfort and that you would walk us into a deeper life with your spirit, which you have promised to us. As we lift our voices in worship now, Lord, speak to every heart. We ask that um, none of us would leave this place unchanged and that we would begin to see uh, those people around us who we were failing to see before and asking what can we do uh, to enrich the lives of others in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.